who want to invest into the marriage. Uh, you know, we have a, a country right now with an epidemic of bad marriages and divorce. And if you find in common what a lot of people have is they don't invest in it. They see it as very shallow. They don't think it's worth much. But it's good to see everybody here tonight because it is worth it. So I promise you, I'm not going to take a lot of your time right now. I have a couple of uh, thoughts I have out of a scripture that I want to look at with you. And uh, I don't know if you've heard that old joke. There's a farmer. He's laying in the hospital. His wife is sitting there next to him. And he's looking at her and he tells her, Carol, you were there when our house was hit by a tornado. You stayed by my side. You were there when I fell off the roof, nearly broke my back. And now you're here after that car hit me and I can't walk. And he looks at her and he says, Carol, I'm starting to think you're bad luck. <laughs> Why do you say that, Pastor? Because the truth is when you're married, you can sometimes not value how beneficial and how much of a blessing and how much God has designed it that the spouse that you have, it's not, they're not just a part of your life. They are helping make you whole. Yes. That's how this really works. Matthew chapter 19. Thought they were bringing in more meat. I'm like, oh, we're silly to me right now. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19. Let me, let me read to you a verse as um, I get ready to, to give you a couple of thoughts here. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6 says these words. This is the famous verse about marriage that most people know. And when you have a wedding and uh, you're doing the vows and you go through and when you help people go through a wedding, this is one of the, the verses that you, that you highlight and talk about. And it says, so then, this is Jesus speaking, they no longer are, they, they, the two become one flesh. Therefore, when God is joined together, let no man separate. Let me, I'll take a break real quick while they kind of get this in and out. Man, that was too much dessert. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I guess that's how they do it family style. The two become one flesh. Let uh, what, uh, what God has put together, let no man separate. Let's pray very quickly. Father, I ask that you would anoint your word tonight. Cause there to be revelation and understanding as you join people here. As you join couples here. Help them to see that the world will try to separate, but it's not worth it. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Let's talk first about joining together. Jesus' simple words are, the two become one. There are two people living two separate lives that when you get married, it's more than just simply coming together and trying to live together. That's not how this works. People do that in the world all the time. This is why they like to have this idea, well... Let you gotta kind of see what it's like before you get married, and you're not really too sure. So we'll live together for a little while. On the surface, it sounds smart, but the reality is, it doesn't work because the way this was designed is it doesn't matter what kind of person you were, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter whether or not you were raised in a very uh, 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 impoverished area or you're raised in a wealthy area. It doesn't matter what race, because when two become one, that is always a collision. And this is where people see marriage and they really get frustrated, especially at the beginning stage of it. I've been there. 
in my own personal life, when you first get married and you go through the shock of living with someone else who comes with different habits and comes, one of the, the, the major, uh, I remember, I don't even want to say it was an argument, it was just a disagreement. And the disagreement was about how you cook bacon and eggs. <laughs> Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I grew up where they cooked it correctly. <laughs> you cut the bacon up and you mix it with the eggs. But then, <laughs> and they cook the eggs, they scramble, and then they put the strips of bacon on top of it if you're eating the taco. I don't know who started that, but it doesn't work. And I remember one morning, my beautiful wife gave me a top and I was like, what is this bacon and eggs? So why don't you put the bacon inside? Who does that? What do you mean who does that? <laughs> and then there's a lot of other more serious things that happen. You have previous uh, kids from other relationships. If you come in and maybe your house, like mine, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My father abandoned us when I was eight. I don't know what it's like to be a dad. I don't know where the lines were supposed to be. That's why you have a pastor. That's a, a whole other message. That's why the church is so important. Because it helps to establish examples that you don't get a lot of times, especially in our culture today. And what we, what we a lot of times begin to misunderstand is that marriage isn't just this romantic thing. It's a collision of two souls coming together. You have a lot of expectations. A lot of expectations of how your spouse should act, on what they should do. For men, it's how their mother treated them in a lot of ways they want to, they expect from their wife. You did not marry your mom. It's <laughs> <laughs> your wife. Yes. You're not gonna do things the same way. And I'll be honest with you, I grew up in a house, again, for my, the way my, my, my father left, my mom never cooked. Like if she cooked, it was the, the hungry man, the microwave stuff. <laughs> Where I got, you know, growing up, I lived with my grandparents, I lived from house to house. And to have someone in the home that began to cook, I remember just thinking, wow, this is amazing. And then she wanted to cook chicken and rice every day, and I was like, wow. <laughs> Who eats white rice with chicken? <laughs> You know how to make enchiladas? And she's like, uh, we did. There's a restaurant right down the street that has great enchiladas. And you have expectations. I really want them to do this, and I really like them to do this, and I, I really want them to do that. And I remember talking to someone, and they were so mad at their husband. The reason they were mad, they were both sitting down, and, and we were they, were, they came in, and they wanted help, and they're working through their marriage problems, and, and they were so mad because he was washing the dishes. That's what I said. But he doesn't want to wash them. But he washes them anyway. What's wrong with that? Well, he should want to wash them. I'm sorry, princess. That's not how this works. And with all due respect, please understand me here. Because the truth is this. The expectations you put on someone else and the expectations that are not met, when they're not, when, when you feel like they don't happen, you can justify something in your life that is absolutely wrong. I, and I won't even, I, I don't want to get into, into the stories and into the, 
problems and into the crises that are created simply because someone felt like they were, they, their expectation wasn't that. This person isn't doing what I thought they should, so I'm going to go and do this. The two become one flesh. When Jesus says the two become one, he's speaking about all of this I'm explaining right now. He's speaking about the collision of two people coming together. And the truth is this. When you run into those problems, there is this temptation, and I would even say a lie, that says, well, something must be wrong. I remember someone coming to me, and they were married two years, and they said, I don't know if, if I married the right one, and the reason is because we fight all the time. We're constantly fighting. And you know what I told them? I said, well, that's good. I mean, that's good. Because you're two people that never lived together before. And now you're, if you didn't fight about something, I think you'd be lying to each other. Because you obviously aren't going to like everything the same. And you obviously aren't going to like everything exactly as it should. They're going to do something you don't like. And you should talk about it. I get very leery with people who say, oh, well, we never fight. Then you never talk. <laughs> you never talk about anything substantive at least yep. that's probably why my observation is when kids come that's when you get some real tensions because all at that point all the opinions really do come out this is how we're going to do this you shouldn't do that you shouldn't do this you should do that you shouldn't do this don't, don't play guns with your kids why not boys love to play with guns well, because, and, and, and it's at those moments, it's not wrong to disagree, and it's not wrong to argue. What is wrong is to not be able to join together. So let's, let's talk a little bit here, because uh, one of the, the, the great testimonies, I was, a brat, I was a young pastor, I was 22 years old, I had this couple coming to the church. This was a wonderful couple. They never went to church in their life, they had no clue how marriage worked, but they were already married. And they both were boxers, the wife and the husband. I mean legitimate boxers. They would go and train. If you're here in San Antonio and you've ever heard of Jesse James Lehan, the Lehan family, they're related to that family. And so they would go and spar at the same gym with them, and they both were very into it. And so when they would really fight and argue, they settled their differences by boxing. And I remember him telling me this story. He says, Pastor, I was so mad. We got into this fight. I went to the kitchen, and I got a knife, and I came back out to the living room, and I don't remember what happened after that because she hit me so hard. I said, you don't ever tell anybody that story, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting with them, oh, and walking through issue after issue, helping them realize, look, it's not wrong to disagree. It is wrong to start hitting each other because you disagree. Yes. Years go on. She gets cancer. She's with Jesus now. And to think. This couple that came in, all they could do was fight. He was the last one standing at her bedside when she died. The two become one. That's sacred. You're not gonna get that at a club. You're not gonna get that at a bar. You're not gonna get that with a casual hookup. 
the two become one. So let's talk quickly here about separating. This whole, this verse is in the context or the backdrop of Jesus talking about divorce. It's worth a read on your own time, Matthew chapter 19. It's dealing with this issue of what about a relationship that begins to separate? What about when two people come together and they can no longer stay together? That's what the question, that's what started this whole thing and prompted him to tell us this verse. Was the question was, Moses allowed us to divorce for this reason. And there's justification for it. And Jesus begins to speak to them about the real issue and what begins to happen. If God has brought them together, how on earth could he justify separating them? That, that's what the question is. If God, if what we're saying is true, and that in marriage, especially in a Christian marriage, when you get saved and you're doing it right before God, God is joining you together. How on earth can you justify separating this organically connected, almost miraculous unity? How can you do that? That was the question. And Jesus begins to say, well, there's a few things that do happen. And in that arena, and they go back to Moses. They say, well, Moses said that you could do it this way. That if, if they ran into this problem and, and this issue of adultery and, and these things, that, then you have the ability then to separate these two that are joined miraculously almost. At that point, you could. And Jesus has to clarify something for them. He has to make sure he draws the line for them and says, it wasn't just about the problem. It wasn't just about the issue. It wasn't just about the crime. It wasn't just about the offense. It wasn't just about they couldn't get along. It wasn't simply irreconcilable differences. Jesus makes sure to tell us and tell them, you want to know what's really at work? It's not that they were wrong. I can tell you, and I'm sure you might know a few couples, and maybe even tonight you're here. You've been through some stuff. You've hurt and have been hurt, and you're still together. So then what is it? Well, Jesus says it, Matthew 19, because of the hardness of your heart, they permitted you to divorce your wives, but it was not so from the beginning. You know what Jesus says? The real issue of separation is not ever the action. It's the response to the action by the heart, but not just by any heart. Let's talk about this very briefly here. It's a hardened heart. This is a very important uh, um, statement made in all of Scripture. A hardened heart. That means a heart that gets cold. A heart that goes from flesh to stone. A heart that begins to now draw away and no longer wants to stay connected. How do you know if you have a hardened heart? One of the ways you know, especially from our text, is that you begin, you are unable to do what's right, even though you know it's right. You know you should say you're sorry, and you just simply can't do it. There's not enough love in there for you to be able to bring yourself to it. You know you shouldn't have done whatever it is, and you know you should say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you ever had those moments? 
where that word feels like it's being pulled out of your very chest. Because <laughs> it comes from your heart. One of the ways you know you get a hardened heart is that no matter what happens, you feel very little pity. I don't know if you, you know this statistic or you've heard this. There's marriage counselors. There's a, a group that's actually done surveying through couple after couple. There's one attribute, one quality that once it gets into the marriage, it's 90% as they've seen it, that marriage ends in divorce. What is that quality? The issue of disgust. When you look at someone, and you can, your spouse, and you can feel no compassion for them, that no matter what's happening, you're just, you feel nothing for them at all. Why? Because you're hard heart. Jesus said the reason why people get divorced truthfully, and the reason why separation begins to happen, is because of a hardness of heart. The other way that you know that hardness of, that hardness of heart is happening is because you're unwilling to change. Interesting story is Samson. You follow the life of Samson and Delilah at the end, this couple that's in the Bible, is one of the most unusual stories, mainly because this was a, 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 a relationship of convenience on both of their parts. She wanted to get something and so did he, and he ended up becoming a prisoner of that relationship, literally in chains. Why? One of the things you notice about Samson in his life is he was stubborn. One of the, the crazy parts of that story is how stubborn this man was over and over and over. People get in his way. People try to stop him and say, don't do this. And he keeps on doing it. Stubbornness, an unwillingness to change, isn't just a sign that you're not clearly thinking. It's a sign that something's wrong with your heart. Why is that important for us tonight? We're going to get ready to pray in a little bit, but why is that important? Because all of us, if we're going to stay married, are going to have to change. I got married when I was uh, 20. And you know, when you're 20 years old, you know everything about life. <laughs> you know, I have my kids. Yeah, yeah, this is what you should do, that's what you should do. I'm not 20 anymore. I'm 25. <laughs> Had some children. Been through life. Moved around. And one of the things I can tell you is that if you're going to stay married, you're going to have to change. There's an adjustment that you have to make. And it's a good one. I remember when we were getting married, one of the pieces of advice that I heard over and over because of our age was you shouldn't get married so young anymore because when you get older, you change. You know, I, at the time I remember thinking, wow, maybe that's true. Well, I can tell you, it is true. But what isn't true is the assumption you have to change differently. Of course you're gonna change but the two become one. You change from being two to one. And the longer you do it, the better you're supposed to get. And there has to be an important part where we decide to say we're going to change unless our heart is hardened. And then we can't, even though we know we should. And I wanna close here, and I wanna talk about the miracle. Because when Jesus starts to tell us, 
that here it is, this couple comes together and God has joined them. I think we can all understand fairly clearly that when Jesus starts to say, this is what God is doing, it's phenomenal, or I should say, it's exciting to us when we hear about God doing a miracle for a blind man. It's, it's amazing to us when we hear about God doing a miracle for a lame man. It's a miracle. It's amazing to us when we hear about God doing a miracle for a leper. Well, the Bible just told us God does a miracle in taking two individual people and turns them into one. It doesn't say they do it. It doesn't say the judge does it. It doesn't say a contract does it. It says God does that. It's a miracle. That's why it's good news for us. Maybe there are seasons you've gone through in marriage, maybe even right now. It's not that great. There's a bit of separation. And you're like, I don't know how this is going to work. That's all right. Because I don't need to explain a miracle. But it happens. It can come back together. God can help bring this together and join them in such a way that it cannot be separated. Marriage is one of those wonderful institutions, not because we simply do it in church, but because of Jesus' testimony. God is the one who does this. God is the one who begins to work and iron these issues out with us. God is the one who gets involved. God is the one who makes us whole. I had an interesting experience when we lived overseas. My wife's here with us tonight. I usually tell this story, and she's usually not around uh, to be able to do it. She knows it. She's heard it from different people when I tell it. She lived it, honestly. One of the years we were living there uh, overseas, uh, she got really sick, hospitalization sick. But when I say the word hospital, you have a certain definition in your mind that is not the definition of living overseas. Think more of mechanic's garage as hospital. The hospital she stayed in had people die because they transfused bad blood. That when you walk through the hallways, you have people bleeding out in the hall. It, it's not like hospital we think. It's a very different world over there. And she got really, really sick uh, one year we were there. Uh, she had to go into emergency surgery, and I remember having a doctor who was over there, and he, he, before they went in, he says, you have to prepare yourself, mainly because of the conditions of this hospital and the surgery she was about to have, and the emergency and crisis moment it was, it, you have, I had uh, two little boys living there with us, and he said, you have to prepare yourself that you might go back home, and your wife's not gonna make it today. So the doctor just told me that, you know, I'm living thousands of miles away from America, no family, and I remember thinking to myself, what do you mean? And I asked him, I said, what, what do you mean? Why, what? And he says, what's the kind of surgery she's going to do, the condition she's in, this is a high probability she won't make it. And, uh, you know, at the time, Kathleen doesn't know this. She's getting prepared to go into surgery. They have her induced, like, they're getting ready to put her under it so that way they do the surgery. And as they wheel her off, I remember thinking to myself, God, I did not come over here to lose my wife. 
but it happens. And I remember there was a, a, she went in and she came out and I visited her in her room. I remember being there. And really this message is stemming from that moment. And, it, it, and it's this reason. You get so busy with life, especially in ministry, especially living overseas. If you've ever moved, just take, if you've ever moved jobs, it can be a frustrating moment when you go from one job to another. You've got to learn everything all over. Magnify that a thousand times when you move to another country. It's just like that with all kinds of problems and all kinds of things that you have to figure. And you get busy. You get busy working. You get busy with kids. You get busy with the church. You get busy with ministry. And none of that is wrong. We need to be busy. And I remember, though, there are things in life that they stop you right in your tracks. And I'm sitting there in the hospital with her. And I have my two little boys at the time they were real small. And I remember as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm talking with her, and, and she's very weak at the time. And you know what began to really dawn on me as I was there? It's one of those moments where you think, okay, if this person is gone from my life, what will it be like? I was living one of those kind of, 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 of times where you start to think, if she's missing, what, what will life really be like? And it was in that moment that this scripture really began to come alive. Because I realized I wouldn't just lose my wife. I would lose half of my life. Half of my life would be gone. And I remember as I started thinking about her not being there and, and having to figure out what we're going to do with the kids and having to, and as she's laying there, I began to realize how whole, whole, she made my life. And these words, the two become one. It's not an addition, it's not mathematics, it's not a number thing. Jesus is trying to say it's a wholeness thing. You have a bad marriage, you know what you really have? You have half a heart. You have a bad marriage, you know what's really going on? You're missing something. There's a wholeness. That's why when you see good marriages, it frustrates you. Fr People who have bad marriages, they look at it and they get so vexed because they know I'm missing something so important. What do I do? There's good news tonight. The good news is this. You just have to make a decision. Jesus gave us the root to all the cause. It's a hard enough. You can't control your spouse. If you don't believe me, give it 10 years, you come back, you'll believe me after that. You can't control your spouse. You can try. I know plenty of people who do. You can really, oh no, no, I'm on it. You can't control your spouse, but you can control your heart. Yes. It's the only thing tonight, right now, that if you make a decision to do that, I promise you your marriage will change. I don't know exactly when, how, and every single step along the way, but I know the beginning of all the change starts with your heart. A pastor, they, and they, and that, and all the problems that they create, I didn't do any of <coughs> You still can't control any of that. You can only control your heart. 
Jesus gave us the root issue. It wasn't just adultery. It wasn't just this issue of abandonment. It was an issue of a heart of the heart. He gave us the secret. And he gave us the revelation. And the good news is, it's not that complicated. You don't need counseling for hours on end. You need to deal with your heart. Yes, amen. Let's bow our heads as we close this time in prayer tonight. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're to God. The truth is, marriages also go through seasons. There can be a lot of tension at times in life. Things can happen all at the same time. You can have tragic circumstances and trauma begin to enter into life. And at that moment, you're trying to process it for yourself. And then your spouse is trying to process it. And you can both end up just really getting angry at each other and frustrated. And honestly, there's nothing wrong in that arena, in that moment. What's wrong is, is if that season lasts forever. Is if it begins to curb and bend your relationship and cause you to separate. That's what's wrong. Before I go any further, though, maybe you're here tonight. I don't know everybody here. I don't know.